Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another episode. Uh, This week we go back 40 years to Holy Diver, Dio's debut album from 1983. But before we get there, Chris, my friend, how are you? Uh, Feeling old. How about you? (laughs) Well, considering I think I was nine months when this album came out, I'm feeling very, very old. Um, Before we get into that and some of the other stuff we've been listening to, as we always do, I want to give a uh, best wishes to Charles, one of our Patreon members and a new fan of the show, relatively new fan of the show. Uh, he's going through some stuff right now. He's having some medical issues. I hope that you hear this. I hope it makes you feel a little bit better. And we really appreciate um, your support. Obviously, we want you to kick out of this as soon as possible. Yeah, seconded. Uh, just uh, heard the news, but... Um... Hopefully everything works itself out and uh, you know, hang in there. We love you, buddy. Um, th- I also want to thank all the new Patreon members who have joined in the last week or two. Uh, we really appreciate the support. It's going well, and we obviously would ask everyone who listens to the show on the regular basis, if you want to listen to it ad-free or any of the other perks that we're offering, we invite you to join us at patreon.com. You can obviously see us uh, in the description below. So cheers to all of you. And with that, I feel like it was a busy week for music. Did you uh, did you find that yourself, or was it just me? Uh, sing like song wise, yes. Album wise, not as much. Although I'm finding myself um, a little bit uh, behind the the eight ball, as it were. Um, but I, I'm trying my best uh, to keep to keep up. But um, definitely, you know, some some albums popping up here and there um but uh, i will say that that a couple of singles have um popped up and and literally today uh it it, we're we're recording on uh tuesday may 16th um you know the band ghost we we talked about how they have a an ep coming out of covers called phantomime and um they did a really excellent cover of uh uh genesis's uh jesus he knows me and now their second uh, single has been released, which I, when I saw it, thought it was a cover of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom <laughs> of the Opera from the the uh, the play of the same name. No, it, as a matter of fact, it is a cover of uh, Iron Maiden's Phantom of the Opera from their debut self-titled album. Um, and uh, it's pretty cool. Like, although... If you pictured Ghost doing an Iron Maiden song, that they pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's, they didn't try anything uh, off the beaten path. Stayed in their um, lane, so to speak, I guess. Yeah, but it's cool. It's it's a, just a cool hearing the hearing um uh I what the lead singer's name uh pop, is a Papa Emeritus. Is that what we're calling him uh, today? He, um, he his his like unique style vocals instead of the uh, the old school. Uh, vocals of um, uh, the, who was the original Maiden singer? Uh, Paul Diano escapes me. Yeah, I was going to say Paul O'Neill, um, <laughs> and and not even the sabotage Paul O'Neill, the Yankees Paul O'Neill. Um, and then not to be not to be outdone, but in that same area, uh, Charlotte Wessels and Zora Cock, uh, that is her name, um, 
they did a cover of Ghosts, Mariana Cross, and that re- uh, came out just a couple of days ago as well. Uh, former Delane singer. Um, so I think uh, you had made the joke that now uh, Iron Maiden has to do a cover of a Charlotte Wessel song, and I suggested The Gathering. Um, I won't I won't hold my breath on that, but it would be interesting to hear. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then um, Art Nation released another single from their upcoming album, Inception. Uh, songs called uh, 1001. I'm really looking forward to that album. And um, How did it compare with the first single? I haven't heard it yet. But I loved, I loved, loved, loved the first single, and I'm wondering: is it just as heavy as the first one, or is it a little more, uh, a little lighter? I think it's kind of. I don't. I don't know if I liked it as much as the first one, but it's in that same vein. So I think you'll be, I think you'll be pleased. Um, and the, the one other thing I wanted to mention: this actually came out a couple weeks ago, but I just missed it. But uh, Mob Rules has a new uh, single called "Hymn of the Damned." Um, and uh, I don't know that they have a, a new album or anything planned. They're kind of overdue for it. But um, I feel like every year they drop like a random single. And here's another one. It's uh, pretty much like what you would want to hear from Mob Rules. It's kind of like a, almost like a, a modern Iron Maiden kind of vibe. A, like a modern 80s Iron Maiden. <laughs> Not to be compared with a modern regular Iron Maiden. But, um, <laughs> cool track and and it's cool to see that they're uh they're still dropping songs even if it's just a song here or there not not a full album and and i mean just uh i mean uh, not to go into detail but like there were new singles by bloodbound and glory hammer and rhapsody of fire uh just a lot of stuff um a lot of stuff happening i haven't had a chance to listen to everything but uh i'll i plan on getting there eventually i want to mention two albums that I listened to pretty much on repeat this week when I wasn't listening to Dio. Two albums that really have some similarities but are kind of in different lanes, so to speak. But the one commonality between both of them is that they're both American bands, which is shocking when you listen to these albums because both bands really have a European flavor for different reasons. The first album is uh, a band called Vintersea from Portland, Oregon. They were due for a new album. It's been a while since their uh, 2019 disc Illuminated. And so this album, it's called Woven Into Ashes, came out. And it is heavy and yet melodic and just progressive in many ways. But it also has that black black metal touch to it as well. There's a lot going on here, but it's easy to sink your teeth into. A very, very good album. Um, and, And a pleasant surprise because I like their old material, but sometimes... For a band that's not, you know, so established, sometimes that gap can be a little bit jarring. But no, they picked up right where they left off. I really, really enjoyed this. Did you have a chance to listen to it yet? I know I had uh, recommended it to you earlier in the week. It's uh, it's in the queue. I haven't gotten to it yet, um, but I I plan on it. And I'm assuming the band you're going to mention next, they're also on my to-do list. Yeah, they, they are. We're going to go 3,000 miles east to Connecticut, of all places. Uh, I have to thank the guys at the MSR cast because I had no idea. This was not on my radar at all, but they were talking about it on their most recent episode. So I gave it uh, I gave it a shot. And the, the band is called Fires in the Distance. Their new album is called Air Not Meant for Us. Oh, my. This album is fantastic. It is melodic death metal, but it's 
very doomy. So it has that slower vibe on many tracks, almost like a Swallow the Sun or something in that kind of vein. And this just hit all the right buttons. And I think that what really did it for me was that they were very keyboard heavy. And that's why I thought you might like it in particular, because it's not just doom metal, but a lot of the hooks are piano or keyboard driven. Really, really good album. I've listened to it a bunch. I kind of want to listen to it again when we're finished recording. Just a really solid album and uh, kind of a pleasant surprise because I had never heard of these guys. I have those two albums along with um, the new Burning Witches album, The Dark Tower, and the uh, Dark Side of the Moon album, Metamorphosis, although I have to admit I've heard about half the tracks because they the, they all were released as singles. But um, So I listened mo- to that as well. And what's interesting is I didn't realize that the bulk of that album is actually covers from different movies or TV shows or different or, – or, you know, kind of – different things kind of in the fantasy realm it's only three new tracks but it was it was an enjoyable listen to say the least yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it um i i especially liked the um the may it be uh cover song which which uh included charlotte wessels who we mentioned earlier but um uh just uh more from uh, our 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 favorite uh our favorite uh one of our favorite female vocalists uh, melissa bonnie of uh ad infinitum who we will be uh very excited to see perform at Prague power uh this year um but um yeah so those are the four albums that came out recently that i have um uh t- i have to listen to that i'm looking forward to digging into um but uh thankfully there hasn't been a a slew of albums that i've been super interested in listening to during this kind of uh period of time where i just have not had the opportunity to sit down and really uh digest too much stuff outside of uh, what we do on the podcast well i think that's going to change this week um i know the sleep token album comes out on friday uh the arjun lucas in prog rock album comes out amongst other things so um i'm gonna be busy this week i am so so eager to hear that sleep token album i don't think it could possibly be better than the last one but then again they're blowing up on uh you know xm radio so for whatever yeah, that's and worth. people are blowing up at their shows <laughs> apparently if you recall um so that actually got I actually got that clip sent to me by our good friend i'm sure you can figure out who it was uh sent me that that clip um who do you think it was <laughs> it had to be mr michael Crea. Yeah, of course i <laughs> uh, had that one pegged shout out to mike the uh the smelliest man in the room but i i, I digress I w- another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk about Dio. 
I want to talk about Holy Diver, and it's it's kind of interesting. I've had this episode pegged for a long time. It's the 40th anniversary, as I said, of his debut album, which came out May 25th, 1983. What I did not realize, and this is complete happenstance, is that today, the day we record, May 16th, actually marks the 13th anniversary of his passing, which was just complete happenstance. Uh, But I think it you know, to the extent that the man deserves a tribute. He was revolutionary in many ways, obviously for his time in Rainbow and Sabbath. Uh, and I, I can't think of a better tribute than his first, uh, you know, full-length solo album going back 40 years. I I have a story as to kind of how Dio first got on my radar because I remember it vividly. I'm curious if you remember your first time hearing hearing his vocals. And I, I know we touched upon this potentially uh, in the Sabbath episode we did, but, you know, I'm not. I know that Sabbath wasn't the first time that you had heard him, except for maybe the Wayne's World soundtrack. Uh, yeah, it was actually. I think I had mentioned it was the the Aerosmith cover of "Dream On" that he sang on with Ingve uh, on guitars. Um, I think that was probably the first time I heard him. If if not, just uh, in passing on classic rock radio. Um, although I don't know how much like new era Sabbath, which I would consider Dio's time as being, uh, was being played on the radio in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, I guess not all of it had even come out yet that he was a part of based on the, the album we, we talked about around that Wayne's world, uh, time. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then I would just kind of come to learn about what a, what a, legend he is in the in the metal community and and i've heard so many great stories about what a what a like awesome guy he was just personally um so yeah this was this was definitely my first uh dive into um any of his uh solo albums although i did know two songs <laughs> quite well and i'm sure you can guess which two those those were i i can it's interesting because this was not the first time i had you know, I, I, Holy Diver wasn't my first uh, foray into Dio. It was actually the next album and specifically the single for The Last In Line. Obviously, I didn't hear it, you know, 40 years ago. But what I did do is when I was in high school, I had sent away on eBay for two VHS cassettes that were just dubbed like random metal videos. And it had everything from Halloween's I Can to Dokken to Ozzy. I mean, it was just it ran the gamut. But at the same time, and this was going back to 1998, I remember seeing the most absurd video for The Last in Line. And although the video itself was completely hysterical, I loved the song and I just couldn't get enough of it. I would go out very soon thereafter. I would buy the Dio anthology, which was kind of a best of. And then ultimately I wound up getting, you know, those first two albums, Holy Diver and The Last in Line. And so I've been listening to this album for the better part of 25 years uh, just because I couldn't get enough. And I, I had the pleasure of seeing him in concert a number of times. So I've seen probably half, if not more, of this album perform live. I'm just a, you know, I'm kind of a fanboy for his vocals. And I happen to love other things about this album. Normally, we don't talk in advance about the album, but you did make a passing comment that after about four listens, this hadn't really clicked for you. And I was a little surprised because with some of the thrashier stuff we've been listening to, which I think is a little less accessible, I was surprised that this didn't kind of hit you right right away just because it's kind of more straightforward. It's certainly not as fast. 
Uh, and I'm just wondering if your opinion changed at all, like, you know, with the last couple of listens. Uh, I'd say that it's changed slightly for the better, but uh, in all honesty, like my, my biggest hope was that I was going to find a song that I would like more than the two songs that I knew really well. And I don't think that that happened. Um, and that, I think that in and of itself was a little bit disappointing or, I mean, maybe just the two most, you know, popular songs are that for, for a reason. Um, they were also the singles on the album with Holy Diver coming out first and then Rainbow in the Dark coming out a little later in the year. So, I mean, listen, I'll be honest. There's a reason why you like those two songs. There's a reason why you've heard those two songs. I have my own thoughts. I'll get to those. Um, it's the other tracks really that I look forward to almost talking about more just because I feel like the other ones have been talked about so much. And I don't know that anyone has done a deep dive into Gypsy, but we'll we'll certainly get there. Um uh, what, what always struck me as not odd, but kind of interesting about Dio was that I used to hear rumors that back in the early 80s or the mid 80s when he was doing live shows, that they'd be shooting off M80s in the crowd. And I always said to myself, but this music is not that heavy. Like, I, I didn't quite understand why there were these rumors that were abound. But in retrospect, I don't think any of that was true, but apparently uh, it was a sight to behold in 1985. And certainly I thought he still had a golden voice in 2005 and 1999 when I saw him and stuff like that. He was just such a clean, classy singer that he just, he was blessed that he never lost his voice even into his later years. Uh, Yeah. I can't, can't disagree with any of that. Um, It's, I have to say like, Listening to this album, I mean, to me, like the, the his voice is the the highlight, at least for me. Um, uh, just from a general standpoint, I, I feel like um, it's kind of like this this for me a muddy middle ground of like seventies kind of deep purple esque hard rock and eighties kind of like uh, traditional heavy metal, and it kind of it's almost like it kind of meets somewhere in the middle and it's not sure which direction it's going in just yet. Um, there's just, there's a number of things that really gave off um, deep purple vibes for me. Um, and to that point, I, I think that, you know, depending on the track, you either slid more to deep purple or more to like almost a Motley Crue or something like that, depending on the, on the specific track. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I can understand the deep purple connection or the, the, what you heard. I actually will mention another band, which I think is another apt comparison in spots, but we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. Um, just to kind of, you know, kind of paint the picture. It's, it's a really interesting lineup. It's Vivian Campbell on guitar. He was obviously the classic, classic early Dio guitar player. He was the, uh, the Scottish legend before there was a, uh, Drew well, I'll just say, yeah, basically that's what I was going to say, <laughs> but it just wasn't very funny. So Vivian Campbell on guitar, Jimmy Bain on bass and keyboards and, uh, Carmine's brother, Vinny Apice on drums, which I, which is kind of interesting, uh, with the New York, uh, the Brooklyn connection there. Um, and that, that's, you know, kind of the classic lineup for these first few albums. Uh, yeah. And all names that I think, most people would probably be familiar with. Uh, I, I I don't know if I had heard of Jimmy Bain before, but I, I definitely was had heard the other names, definitely. And, and Jimmy Bain would leave the band, and then he would come back later on. So, you know, as as, as artists so often do, there was kind of a, a... A short stint as a Batman villain, if I recall. 
<laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where we are. And obviously, this is on the heels of two magnificent albums with Sabbath. Uh, but let's uh, let's get into it. The, the the first track here is a song that I have vivid memories of seeing live because the album kicks off not in a deep purple vein. This is one of the most hard, heaviest most metal tracks on the album and that's stand up and shout it's not a long song in fact it's the shortest song on the album it's just over three minutes uh but it it is it it packs a punch in that short short time frame i'm curious if it was a surprise to you that they kicked this off with something that wasn't holy diver the song uh no I, i i don't think i really had any expectations one way or the other um i just thought that this was uh a good choice. I think Holy Diver, the song would have been a little bit too um, deliberate or, or like too marchy to be like the, the first, um, the first track. I kind of like that. They went with something a little bit more uh, speedy and, and more just more traditionally metal. Although I definitely got deep purple vibes, even from this song. Really? I, I think it's the, the, the tone of the guitar more than anything else. Okay. Kind of gives me, that kind of feeling. Um, but um, I like this song uh, uh, quite a bit. It's one of my favorite songs uh, on, on the album. And um, it's weird because my iTunes said that I'd listened to this song like a whole bunch of times and I just didn't have any recollection of it, to be honest. I saw Stand Up and Shout and, and I thought more of the the song from uh, the soundtrack. Um, rock, was it Rockstar? With, uh, where um, I believe it was... Uh, uh, Jeff Scott Soto did the vo- the vocals, um, yep, yep. And, but it was uh, um, who was the uh, the actor in Mark the Wahlberg. movie? Yes, Mark Wahlberg. I don't know why I was going to say Johnny Depp. Uh, <laughs> that's not right. Um, so I, well, I hear that. I just think of that because like they play it at like sporting events all the time, and you just see like stand up and shout. And so this song came on. And I was like, oh, this is definitely not the same song. <laughs> it's a different song, but I, I like I, this. This is, this is the type of song I feel like would be a real blast to, to, to experience in a live setting. No, no question about it. I need to apologize to Vivian Campbell. I said Scottish. He's actually Northern Ireland. But what's interesting is you talked about his. So Seamus instead of Drew. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, you, you, you mentioned the comparisons to the deep purple guitar tone. He did a lot of work with Thin Lizzy and White Snake and, and, so he's got experience with these other bands, especially Thin Lizzy, which I think has a very similar guitar sound in many ways to Deep Purple. So not terribly surprising because he would later go on to join both of those bands. Well, then that makes sense. I kind of had a feeling that there was probably some sort of connection somewhere because isn't there always? Yeah, there there, there usually is. Um, for the longest time, I actually thought that Holy Diver kicked off the album because on my anthology album, Holy Diver was the first track. So in my head, it was just like, you know, how off, how else do you kick off the album? But it's actually, it's actually the second track. Uh, it's, it's the epic of the album. It clocks in at just under six minutes. Um, I don't know that there's anything I can say about this song that probably hasn't already been said. This is, a classic in every sense of the word. It's slower. It's mid-paced. It's much more deliberate, to use your word. Um, this very dramatic intro, and you're kind of like wondering where this is going to go with, with that first listen. 
but then that iconic riff just kicks off the album, and it's a it's a it's a riff that once you hear it, I don't think you ever forget it. But ironically, the real standout on this track, at least as I have listened to it over the years, I think that in many ways, Vinny's drumming on this track is phenomenal. And I think he does these little drum fills throughout that really kind of keep the song moving along. Uh, not the most complex drum fills, but just beautiful, beautiful stuff that he, you know, kind of put on this to, to just not make it so vanilla sounding. And to your point, it has, in my opinion, almost a Led Zeppelin feel in the instrumental sections. There's like a bluesiness quality to it, which definitely has that 70s vibe. I want to hear your thoughts, but more importantly, can you tell me what a holy diver is? Because I haven't a goddamn clue. Oh my god, I have a, I have it queued up. I have a whole explanation. I'm so glad that you. I just want to point out that was not planned. Uh, that just worked <laughs> out that way. Um, I want to po- before I dive into that um, pun intended. Um, I want to say I don't remember that kind of um, that real atmospheric sounding kind of spooky intro that kind of starts the beginning of the song like in my head the song always just started with the guitar riff just kicking in and i got like a a a genesis kind of vibe from like almost like a prog rock kind of feel and then it would just dive into like this this heavy metal anthem that um it's i always talk about how like these kind of mid-tempo kind of gallopy kind of songs have the potential to be boring if they're not done well and this is not that case at all this is just a this song is a legendary song for for the the right like all the right reasons it's just uh i don't know i've heard um i I can't remember if you were there it might have been that one prog power that um you weren't at uh where ascendia played were you there when ascendia played Yep. Yeah. So um, they covered this, and really? um, Nick, the Nick Sakal, their um, their vocalist, I thought did a stellar job uh, covering it. It was it was interesting. It was funny because I just feel like like every band that year was like busting out a cover for some reason. Like huh. um, I remember uh, Divided Multitude for whatever reason played Perfect Strangers. Like it was just like everyone was busting out covers. Um, so. Um, I just remember that and, and just it's it's one of those songs that I think live it just like everybody's just you know fist in the air and but uh, anyway um I, I I found this earlier while I was working and I left the tab up on, on in my uh, browser because I, I wanted to read it because I never really thought that deeply about what this song would be about and it's really interesting so I'll just share this uh, with you this is from songfacts.com. Uh, at its surface, the song is about Satan and his descent to hell, his dive, if you will. But according to Dio, there's a lot more to it, and the main character isn't really the devil. The song Holy Diver is really about a Christ figure who, on another place, not Earth, has done exactly the same as we've apparently experienced or were, spo- or were supposed to have experienced on Earth, dying for the sins of man so that man can start again and be cleansed and do it properly. And he told this to Sam Dunn for the uh, Metal a Headbanger's Journey film. Ah. Um, so the same thing happened on this other far distant planet. And all the people on this planet are calling him the Holy Diver because he's about to go to another world to do what he did to the first. Absolve them from their sins by having himself killed. And the people are saying to him, don't go with innuendos of tigers and stripes and hearts and being eaten. 
it was meant to show just how selfish humanity is that this one form of humanity on this one world said, no, don't go down there and save anybody else. Stay here. We need you. You are ours. So, well, I think we can wrap up uh, the episode there. <laughs> we pretty much hit the high water mark. That's fascinating. I had no idea that that was the case. So excellent. Fine. Good. Yeah. Research. And here's a, and just another quick little factoid that I thought was really interesting. This song is an expression of Dio's rebellion against his Catholic upbringing, which he felt distorted the message of the religion. Instead of teaching by love, the nuns would keep order by smacking the kids with rulers and telling them that they would go to hell if they didn't behave. So uh, a little insight uh, into where his head might have been at when this song was written. Um, but uh, I'm glad that you asked. I was going to tell you that anyway. <laughs> I, like I said, we didn't discuss this at all, so I, I, I'm... I'm happy to hear that. It's it's a legend. He's a legend. The song is legendary. And then we get into um, kind of the middle of side one here with Gypsy, which is another shorter tune. Uh, definitely, um, in my opinion, more upbeat, at least a little bit. But it still has that bluesy feel to it, as, as some of the other tracks do on the album. And I just am always brought back to that first vocal line that Dio kind of belts out, which is really aggressive for 1983. Like nobody's really screaming like that. I think, um, an underrated tune in many ways that's grown on me. I I think throughout the years, I don't, I I had memories of not loving this so much, but as time has gone on, I've really come to like it. Um, and, and, I, I think that the solos here really kind of show off Vivian Campbell's greatness. He's not mentioned with a lot of the legends, uh, you know, the Yngwie Malmsteins of the world or something like that, but he's very, very solid at what he does. And I think that this is um, a good example of that. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I thought the song was so, so I thought that the chorus was kind of blah, but um, the song itself is not bad. Um, it, the, it gives to me like I, I get a bit of a that early Aerosmith kind of like when they were more of a blue like a blues rock band sure, than, sure. than a than a pop rock band that they would kind of morph into in the eighties. But um, I, I just uh, to me like I, I thought this was more of a you know like you said this more of a kind of a, a guitar uh, showcase. Um, pretty it's an okay song. I, I didn't. Um, I didn't particularly love this one uh, compared to some of the others, but um, I didn't think there were any bad songs on the album. I, I, I think I was just expecting to be, um, I guess, just a little bit more blown away or, uh, by some of the songs I wasn't aware of. And, and I, I ended up liking stuff, but kind of never getting beyond just liking it, I guess. I gotcha. And, and I think that a prime example of that might be the next track, Caught in the Middle. This is one of those tracks that is just that. It's It's fine. It's there. Uh, the there's. I want to talk about the guitar riff that kind of opens this up and permeates much of the track. Um, it has a more of an upbeat feel to it, but I don't love the pre-chorus. I think the chorus itself is a little bit better. Um, some, nobody talks about this song, and I think that the reason for it is it's just not the best song on the album, although I like the ending. But the question I have for you, there are parts of this guitar riffs that remind me so much of something that you know, and I'm curious to see if it jumped out at you when you listened to the guitars on, on Caught in the Middle. Uh, in any particular part of the song, the beginning? or It's definitely the riff that opens it up, and then they go back to it throughout. Um, if it doesn't hit you right away, I will, I will give you a hint and see if that helps, but I'm curious to see if, if, if anything strikes a chord. No pun. Uh, it, it's, it's, I, something, it, it does sound very familiar, but it's just, uh, not, 
oh, it's not it's not coming to me okay. right away. Let me give you let me give you uh, another hint. Does it sound at all like a Fate's Warning song? Oh, I didn't even think of that. I was thinking more of like um like a classic rock. Nope, nope, and I and I get that. But th- this this riff in my opinion was taken for a Fate's Warning song, obviously many years later. Oh, okay, which song? Eye to Eye. Oh, okay, yeah. And I'm not saying it's an exact replica, but just the way that the guitar, the tone, the way that the chords are structured, to me, it's like uh, it's something that Jim Mateos would borrow heavily from about six or seven years later. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, I, I don't know why, but like the band Yes is is coming <laughs> to mind, and I, I don't know. I this 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 whole podcast is just kind of stream of conscience, stream of conscious, just. Uh, naming things that I've heard before that sound like other things. But uh, yeah, I, I could, do- I could definitely see that. I mean, I can, I can only imagine how many metal bands were, were inspired by stuff off this album. Um, I personally think this song is, is a little bit more in- enjoyable than interesting gypsy. Um, I think it's got a better, a more a catchier chorus. And um, I just kind of like it more. It's more kind of my, my vibe. Um but again, like I, I, I wasn't like blown away by it or anything. Just a, a pretty solid tune. I'm curious. Then, other than like the big two, did "Don't Talk to Strangers" jump out at you at all? Because I happen to think that this is probably, in my opinion, the second best track on the album. I actually like it more than "Holy Diver." Um, it starts off like almost like a ballad, or at least that's what you think when you first hear it. And then all of a sudden, this whimsical quality gives way to this really heavy song. But it's the vocals are just so beautiful and so, I don't know, like kind of showing off the diversity of what Dio can do. It, ta- it winds up being one of the heaviest songs on the album, and it almost has a Black Sabbath vibe in many ways. Uh, I love this tune. I'm going to make it my song of the week. I want to give it a listen, and then I want to hear your thoughts. So let's uh, let's take a listen to Dio's "Don't Talk uh, Don't Talk to Strangers." You Obviously, I like I said, I think Dio is the star on this, but the drums are outstanding. I think the solos, not my favorite, but just perfect for the tune itself. And I love how it kind of goes in and out of like kind of quiet and then gets heavy and then it gets quieter again. And I love the 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 dichotomy between the different sections of the song. I think it's beautiful. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it kind of reminded me a little bit of um, the song that you referenced at the very beginning, which uh, Last in Line, where it just kind of starts out 
kind of chill and then the and then the elevator just drops out and the, that's the uh that's the metaphor I use for yes. when the song really kicks in. <laughs> um yeah, this was one of my favorite uh songs on the album. Uh, up there with Stand Up and Shout is my favorites of the ones I wasn't as uh familiar with. Um but um just had like a very uh epic kind of feel to it and and um I just thought it was a really enjoyable song. Although, although I did wonder if this was like Dio's way of, of telling, telling you to, to keep away from, uh, from dating or, or getting involved with, with like the, the fairer sex and maybe you're better off just listening to metal and just staying away <laughs> from all that nonsense. Just stick to your red wine and heavy metal and, and you'll be, you'll, you'll be safer that way. Um, I don't know. Just my, uh, I wasn't able to, to find a, a, a another uh, synopsis on, on this song. Holy Diver, lots of facts about. Uh, don't talk to strangers. Not not That's as so much, much, but but um, I do wonder if there's a little bit of uh, like um, like Dio was burned by somebody, and this was kind of like his way of of writing, like uh, you know, like eh, don't fall in love. It's uh, so it's a real bitch. Yeah, well, well, well said. And if that's not what the song is about, it is now. So I, I like that. <laughs> that's like the close of side one. Side two has four tracks. It kicks off with Straight Through the Heart. This to me is – oh, this got this little drum solo that kicks it off. It's a staple of his live set. Uh, the difference is when they play it live, they speed it up a little bit. And I actually think it sounds better sped up. So I prefer this song live than I do on the album. Um, it sounds to me like a song that was kind of made for radio, but just never made it on the radio. Not my favorite, a little bit too much paint by numbers for me. I think that it's, uh, got some quirky pacing in there, but for the most part, other than like a really catchy bridge, it was a missed opportunity to shake things up a bit. And I, and I just feel like they never get out of their comfort zone on this one. Yeah. Another kind of, uh, like vintage seventies, hard rock, deep purple kind of, vibe i really like dio's um vocals uh, on this one uh and that i think that makes this song a little bit more memorable than maybe some of the other songs i i do want to just backtrack shortly i did a little google search and just real quick don't talk to strangers is about how we try to avoid the things in life that cause us pain but as a result forego that which makes life worth living so i think uh, you hit the nail on the head in many ways yeah yeah so a little uh deep deep uh deep talk there but um yeah getting back to straight to the heart another kind of um you know kind of mid-tempo marchy kind of uh anthemy kind of tune but um i i like this one I, and i think dio's vocals really take it to a, a level that maybe a different vocalist wouldn't have been able to to push it uh, yeah up to i i agree with that and like i said it's not that i don't like the song i just like the live version better because it's just a little more juiced up, and I, I I think it's great in a live setting. The album version is it's listen, it's a good track to kick off side two. There's no question about it. I just wanted a little bit more aggression there, but it's it's better than the next track because I have. If there's one song that I have to say is at the bottom, it would probably be Invisible, and I just say that because it has this like ballady quality to it, which in and of itself is fine, and it, it does eventually pick up, but it's just very vanilla and like something about the cadence i like but the song itself isn't exceptionally memorable if that makes sense it reminds me of like some of his work with rainbow seven or eight years prior and like i think it's very good but it reminds me more of a rainbow tune like a 70s hard rock tune than it does a heavy metal tune from the 80s yeah i mean i'm kind of with you there although i i 
I, I do think the beep, 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 beep. I think that part's like, that one kind of sticks in your head, I feel like. Um, I, I don't know if you would call that uh, like gimmicky or, or not. I thought it was a little kind of goofy when I first heard it, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty solid tune. I, I, it, it didn't stick out to me as well as much as some of the uh, the others, so I'm kind of in the in the same uh, ballpark as you on this one. But um, you know, like I said, I I, it, I think that my overall, and I don't I don't even know if I want to use the word disappointment. I feel like that's too strong of a word. Um, I, I just I think I just had higher expectations, and I just again want to reiterate the fact that I did not think that there were any bad songs on this album but um i was just hoping that there'd be more songs that really um blew me away the way that like rainbow in the dark blew me away when i first heard it and still uh continues to to this day so to that point this to me is not an operation mind crime where at one point or another i've been blown away by every note or track on the album it's funny because if you go back through his entire catalog, I would think I think that many would argue that this is his most complete album from beginning to end. There are no duds. You know, there's tracks I like better, but there's no duds. But at the same time, if you took the best Dio tracks from all the albums and put them on a compilation, I think you'd be pleasantly surprised at how awesome those 20 or 25 songs were. There is better material in the catalog that's not on this album. It's not all front-loaded with this first album. But like I said, if you pluck out maybe three or four songs from this, three or four songs from The Last in Line, then you get to Dream Evil and you just kind of move through the catalog. There's a lot of great stuff. It's just, you know, like I said, I don't think any album in and of itself is a 10. Uh, it's uh, well said. Well said. I, I Sometimes I think we're done in by our own uh, expectations being – too high or or sometimes our expectations are so low that something that uh we had, did not have high hopes for ends up really surprising us um, well to that so, end we just we got a request from one of our patreons that my expectations are that low so i'm very curious to hear that that's coming up over the summer i just have zero hope for this album so you know I, we'll, we'll talk about that more when it's when it's time to cover it but that's uh, a request that came in from patreon the next track kind of buried towards the back of the album, if I'm being honest, is Rainbow in the Dark. I'll let you kind of kick this off and, and tell me why it's your song of the week. <laughs> well, it is. Uh, and it, it, it's just, all right, first of all, like just the way that it starts, um, the riff is iconic. It just, the the that, that little keyboard ditty that just... Um, <laughs> kind of just like plays in with those guitars. It just, uh, it kicks in 20 seconds in, not even Dio's already starting to, to just sing when there's lightning. You're like, yeah, yeah. God damn it. Dio. Like I'm in, I'm like, hook me in. I'm, I'm hooked. You'll know it. Um, I, I, it's just, to me, this is such the epitome of what a great heavy metal song is. And it, um, I was like really hoping that there was going to be something that I, that I liked so much that I would have like put it ahead of this, but it just didn't, it didn't happen. Um, so, uh, although it's probably fairly predictable, um, this yes is my song of the week. And I, I still think that as many times as I've heard it and I've heard it a lot, um, I still never get tired of hearing it. I still think that it's a really excellent song. And, and I think there's a reason why it's, uh, it was a single and why it's, it's arguably Dio's most uh, well-known song. 
Yeah, I I agree with all of that. Let's give it a listen. I'll kind of chime in on the back end with some of my thoughts. Sounds good. So I, I have to say, I've, I've listened to this track a thousand times and you said you nailed it. It never gets old. It's a track that is just iconic. It's timeless. And no matter how much I play it, I can't get sick of it. I, I think it's just one of the best songs of all time, let alone heavy metal. I just love it. I, I cannot get enough of it. Uh, the keyboards, the verses, the chorus, it's so memorable. The, the solo is iconic. And I just love that little cheeky section where it's just the guitar and the kick drum. I, I think it's just a great way to come back into the song. I just love everything about it. And combine that with the fact that it's arguably his best vocal performance on the entire album. I mean, what's there not to love? This song hit number 12 on the U.S. Billboard album Rock Tracks. It is a shame uh, it wasn't number one. What Find me 11 songs better than this. Yeah, well, in 1983, no less. Um, right. But yeah, um, it, it just, uh, I mean, but I, I think it says something that this actually permeated the mainstream um, because I would think that like an early Dio album might not have been on, you know, a lot of people that listen to popular music's radar. Um, and I feel like it ended up on there anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. Um, and, and interesting to me that it's just buried towards the back. Like in many ways, I could have seen this as the second track and Holy Diver kind of kicking off the album. And although that kind of front loads everything, that's what a lot of bands do because they want to get you, you know, they want to get you invested right away. But uh, uh, just a fantastic track. And then we get to Shame on the Night, which is the last track. It's It's got this spooky little guitar intro, a very a slower tune, a more deliberate tune. And to me, this screams Black Sabbath in many ways. I, I like the bass lines here. It's not something we've talked about much this episode, but I think the bass lines really help push this along. And in many ways, the track is kind of like a vocal solo because there's not that much going on with the music itself. Uh, it's kind of straightforward, but it's it's a good album closer and it certainly makes sense why Dio would put it last. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. Uh, it's definitely... Um... You know, a slower paced kind of tune, kind of interesting that they chose this to. I mean, I would almost argue that that Rainbow in the Dark maybe would have would have been well placed as the last song rather than towards the beginning and just kind of end with that real uh, that real banger. But the, you know, this is I, pretty... I remember seeing shows where he closed with Rainbow in the Dark, so it's not surprising. It it can right. be in that spot. Yeah, but this is um, this is a solid solid tune. I think that. I, I think I was more of this kind of 
mid-tempo, almost 70s style vibe songs than I thought there were going to be. But I guess being that it's 1983 and the guy who was, you know, uh, part of Rainbow, uh, <laughs> it's not, you know, particularly surprising. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's good. I actually did also listen to the bonus. The, the, I guess it was a bonus track on, on certain versions and maybe a B side at a certain point, but the song was uh, evil eyes. And I actually kind of, kind of dug this song. It, it, I don't know that it really would have fit on the album proper because it, it kind of has almost more of like a rate, like a radio friendly kind of like fast paced kind of, uh, Again, a little bit kind of seventy, like late seventies rockish, and maybe like a faster sort of way. But I actually quite enjoyed this song too, so I didn't want to not mention it. Nice. Uh, I'm curious, given your expectations and given you know, like the t- kind of taking it all in. I think it's an easy listen, but I'm curious to see what you gave it on a scale of one to ten. Um, I am going to give this one a. I'm going to give it a 6.875. And and the reason for this is because in the recent uh, times um, that we've talked, I, I gave Typo Negative a 7. I gave Hellstar a 7. I gave Flotsam and Jetsam a 7.5. Um, and, and just to something a little bit more along the lines of what we're talking about, I gave Black Sabbath's Dehumanizer album a seven. And I would probably put this album just slightly underneath all of those that I just listed, which I think would probably have surprised you if you didn't know any better. But Oh, um, I would have. I, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm shocked. But listen, I mean, I, I think that there are two tracks that are just, you know, iconic tracks like we've mentioned. And if the other ones don't hook you the same – that makes for an enjoyable listen, but not, you know, not Yeah, and I that's... also think that, like, I don't know, I tend to skew kind of high in my rankings, and I think it's just because we choose a lot of things that we know we're going to like or what the other person's going to like. So I don't really think that that that's it's like a terrible rating. It's, above, it's an above average rating. It's just that I've rated so few things under that mid-five mark that, like, that it feels low in comparison, but I mean, I think it's, I think it's a solid album and I enjoyed listening to it, but I just really wanted there to be something else that kind of made me look back on it instead of just the two songs I already knew going into it. But uh, curious what, what your ranking it would be. Well, for me, it's a solid eight. There's a little bit of a nostalgia factor here. There's really only one or two songs that I think take it down a notch and that's why it's not even higher but there's to me there's a lot of good stuff here i will say that our rankings compared to the general public in many ways is actually a little bit low i know that ign compiled a list of the top 25 metal albums of all time this came in at number eight uh rolling stone had the 100 greatest metal albums of all time this came out at number 16 so there is legendary status here but i think that they're skewing heavy for for those two uh, songs that everybody knows if they've ever dabbled in the heavy metal world. Sure. And as we always like to point out, uh, nostalgia is a big factor in, in how people uh, rank things and how we rank things. Um, and so, and, and this is just something I don't have a ton of nostalgia for. Cause like you said, we were uh, barely alive <laughs> when the album came out. So right. um right. 
you know, it, it's, uh, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. I don't mean to sound like apologetic. It's just, uh, you know, I'm never, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna lie just because, uh, it's, it's an iconic album. Uh, I completely understand why it is. Um, especially the time that it's released. I think it's a very, um, even though it has a very seventies vibe to it, I also think that as a heavy metal record, it's, uh, it's a, it's definitely ahead of its time. And also, um, I don't know if either one of us mentioned this, but, uh, for, for a, a, 40 year old album it sounds quite good i don't yeah. know if, i don't know if i was listening to like a remixed remastered whatever oh, but just a beautiful sounding sometimes album. you can't fix a crappy production as as, as hard as some people try and and uh i thought this sounded really really good for a 40 year old album I, I was impressed i think if you had told me that this came out in the late 80s early 90s i don't think i would have questioned questioned that at all uh, yeah I, w- well said uh and it's it's interesting as we transition away from holy diver which came out 40 years ago ironically enough black sabbath has just released a newly remastered version of children of the sea from their live album called live evil which also came out 40 uh, 40 years ago so they remastered the whole thing another shout out to dio and black sabbath uh just because you know it's i thought it was fitting with the time but two big albums from dio in 1983 uh some other news that I'm not sure you're aware of. Did you have you heard that Epica is stepping in for Five Finger Death Punch and supporting Metallica in Paris and Hamburg, Germany? No, but that's freaking awesome. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I mean, like that is a big deal. Uh, you know, anytime you can open for Metallica in a stadium, that's a big deal. But uh, kudos to them. I'm very, very happy for them. I hope this. You know, they, they've been blowing up more and more with every release. But uh, I have to say, that I think that that would be even an even bigger deal if it was, if something like that happened in the U S because I feel like those European countries, I think those, that a band like Epica probably has more of a uh, fan base than they would here. So I think that that they would be opening way more people's ears to that band had they been playing in the U S. Um, I agree with that. But at the same time, I think Metallica was trying to fill up those stadiums with sure, bands sure. that were like, going to draw, you know, that kind of a thing. That's yeah, why they're available. I mean, it is a last minute sort of thing. I would have, yep. I would have went with Voyager, uh, but that's, that's just me. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I, I, I have to mention um, Voyager's performance on, on Eurovision. They ended up, um, they ended up coming in 10th, 10th place. They won uh, their, their semifinal bracket, I believe. Um, did you get a chance to watch either of the performances of uh, Promise? Because um, I didn't realize like they treated this like a like a music video, like a live action music video, and I thought that they were just absolutely fantastic. I haven't seen it. I'm going to tell you why. Obviously, I didn't see it live. I know a lot of people were able to watch it. I, I unfortunately wasn't able to. I haven't been able to find a clip of it. So if you know where I can find it, please send it to me because I'd love nothing more than to see both versions. Yeah. They, yeah. They played it, um, uh, once, uh, I'm trying to remember, like they played the, on the actual day where the votes came in, they played it for the second time. And I think they basically just redid the whole song, the, the choreography and everything. Um, I watched both and, um, I was just so impressed. I was so proud of them because like, they're just um, 
such great people and I feel like they've come so far and, and for them to make that kind of headway in, in, in what's basically a pop music, uh, you know, competition um, and shout outs to Lords of the Lost as well um, for uh, they also had a very nice showing representing Sweden, but um, I feel like Voyager <laughs> were the, Oh yeah. Sorry. Germany. My bad. Um, yeah. Voyager were definitely the the stars here, and yeah. Speaking of uh, nostalgia and biases, yeah, I have a little bit for them, but uh, but let me tell you that song "Promise" that's going to be on their uh, "Fearless and Love" album that comes out, I think, in July. Um, it's a good song, but live, something about it, it's Voyager. Some of their songs, for whatever reason, they come to life in a way live that I agree. That it just that like just studio recordings can't bring just can't do justice to. And this I think is going to be one of those songs that the crowd singing the O's together and everything. Like, I, I think that's going to be a real uh, fan favorite when the band goes back on tour. But I, I just I would be remiss if I didn't mention what a great job they did and, and how deserving they were of all the, the accolades and, and all of the uh, exposure that they got from, from being in this, uh, this show. Yeah. Well said. I think, uh, the future is bright. I hope to see them again live soon because they are fantastic. And uh, I look forward to the new album. But uh, with that, I believe it is your turn to pick another album. So I am curious to hear uh, what it is I'm going to be listening to this week. Well, I'll, I'll just lead off by saying we are not going to listen to a metal album. Um, but we're also not going to be listening to a Monkees album. So hopefully okay. that narrows it down to a few few options but um actually something that dr dre's the chronic from 1994 okay oh man get your get your paroling papers ready it's (laughs) happening um this album i've wanted to talk about for a while now um we've delved in a little bit um into the uh early 90s alternative rock scene we've talked about green day we've talked about pearl jam an album that absolutely blew me away in 1994 was uh, The Offspring Smash. Um, I'm pretty sure you were a big fan of this album as well. I, I'm pretty sure everyone that had a pulse in 1994 was all over this album. Um, spoiler alert, I think that the songs that were chosen to be the singles are the worst songs on this album. Really? That, oh, yeah. I think that... The, oh, man. The, We're going to be the, in for a debate. Okay. Yeah, because I, I think that... Um, I don't know if it was just being overplayed or what, but there are some really good songs on this album that I think blow away the singles. But um, I, I debated between this and Ixnay on the Ombre because no, I you think... you picked the right one. They both have a, some of my favorite songs, but... Um, I listened to Smash way more when it first came out. My copy of that CD is scratched to shit uh, because I I just listened to the hell out of it. Um, so uh, a little departure. We're staying in the hard rock slash punk rock realm, but um, I, I thought this would be kind of a fun a fun little uh, detour. Nice, I, I like it. I did have the album. I played played it a ton, but I have to admit I I haven't listened to it in a long time. And I always gravitated towards the single. So I look forward to doing a deeper dive into some of the darker cuts that I may not be as familiar with, you know, at least 20, almost 30 years later. I think I already know what my song of the week is going to be, but I'm wondering if I, it's been a while since I've listened to the whole album. So I'm curious if I, uh, if I change my tune after re-listening to it. But um, this was just one of those albums that I, 
never skipped a track. Like I just listened to the whole damn thing. Uh, I might yeah. have even skipped like the singles just because I probably would have heard them nine nine times earlier that day from turning on the radio or MTV. But um, this is a band that's still out there. They're still kicking. They're a fun live band. Although I've heard some people say they've seen them not be so good live. I've seen them once and they were awesome. But uh, I, I just uh, we have a lot a lot going on. We have uh, the Halloween concert coming up. We have a uh, we're going to talk about our dream sabotage set list. So I thought um, I do give this one what, what I consider a bit of a lob um, and and something a little a little more more out there and a little and kind of uh, kind of a fun discussion. Also curious to see if um, any of the if this resonates with any of the the listeners out there. Interesting. Good choice. I like it. I look forward to covering it next week. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. We appreciate the support. If you can give us a like and a follow or tell a friend, that would be fantastic. Um, again, we encourage everyone to think about joining our Patreon. Uh, we would appreciate your support. And uh, we look forward to coming back next week with something just a little bit different. Uh, and obviously, uh, it'll be on the heels of what I can only think is going to be a massive Halloween show this weekend. Yes, and um, we will. Uh, we should point out that um, Patreon subscribers will be getting the uh, a bonus episode for May, and the uh, what we're going to talk about is, as mentioned earlier, um, we're going to kind of put together our dream sabotage set list. Now that the band has said that they are going to be doing one final tour, one final album next year, but we're also going to pair our um, our, uh, I guess our kind of con- our review of the Halloween concert uh, in New York City uh, as part of that. So if you want to hear that, um, that's going to be a Patreon only bonus episode. So uh, give that a listen. I'm sure we'll mention the uh, the concert uh, in passing in and on the on the regular uh, episodes. But um, for the detailed commentary, um, you're going to want to. Uh, hit that subscribe button on Patreon and, and uh, that that'll be uh, part and parcel with the, the sabotage discussion. Uh, and God knows if there's two bands that I don't shut the hell up about, it's those two. So hopefully, be we, have enough, <laughs> hopefully we have enough tape to, to record both, but uh, kidding aside, enjoy the week, my friend. I look forward to seeing you soon and we'll come back next week with offspring smash. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Take care.